Alright, welcome everybody to this third episode of Patch and Crash. It's the podcast where gaming culture and life collide. Uh, I'm Hans, I'm here with Mike and Paul. And uh, today we're going to talk about the trials and tribulations of running a live service game. Uh, but before we do that, what have you guys been playing? Yeah, I'll go um, playing, you know, pretty much the same games for this last week. Um, although I did pick up a bundle that I'm um, excited to kind of dig into. It's, uh, it's a bundle over at itch.io. It's called the bundle. Oh, it's a bundle for racial justice and equality. I think it's 10 bucks. You get 56 That's different right. kind of indie games. Um, the one that's kind of I'm stuck with of late is uh, Gladio Bots. Um, hating on, well, the PS5, that's too easy. So I'm not going to go there. I think there's plenty of funny memes that are out there on the interwebs. Um, you know what? You know what I'm, I'm hating on is the lack of crossplay. And it's not because we don't have some of it. It's just the fact that we don't have it when I want it. And I feel like we're just too far along in this industry not to have really good crossplay across games that we want to play. And then missing, um, honestly, I'm missing going to the theaters. You know, of course, there's the COVID situation and everything else that's out there. But just seeing a, you know, a movie on a big screen TV, I haven't done that. And so I don't even remember the last movie I actually did that with. So, hmm. yeah, that's what I'm play, uh, playing, hating and missing on. What about you, Paulie? Uh, I'm still playing Dauntless. Uh, when we kicked it off a couple weeks ago, it's just, it's just been it's just stuck with me. Uh, they just had an update. So I've been trying to check that out slowly. Haven't done too much. Um, missing, uh, very much like you, Mike, I'm missing kind of going outside and doing things with people. Uh, my wife and I went for a walk the other day, ran into, ran into somebody that she works with and it was just really nice to have a social interaction, even oh. if it was at a distance, which is quite nice. I mean, you know, having these calls is good, uh, at, for work, but not the same. Uh, and then what am I hating on? Um, right now it's been my, my, um, my head. Uh, I've been getting a lot of headaches. I, I've had headaches for years and years. Uh, I had a migraine the other day and I've just had a constant headache for like the last like four days, pretty much. Um, so I'm not really enjoying that right now. Okay. I so want to make a, I so want to make a joke by the way. And I can't Paul, I feel like, you know, that's like a kick you while you're down there. I'm like hating your head. Uh, we all do. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Hans. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been, I've been looking for stuff to hate and looking for stuff to miss, but, uh, I, I'm such a kind of positive guy. Although I don't like the, the way the PS5 looks, uh, it looks, it looks cheap. Maybe it looks cooler, you know, want to get it in my hands, but, uh, I'm going to hide that thing away. I'll still buy one, but it's uh, it's not not for showing off, I can tell you that. Um, or is it? It's just a matter of who your a, audience is. Yes, maybe it's a conversation starter, you know. What yeah, what's exactly. that thing, you know, is it a is this the router? No, it's not the Wi-Fi router. Um and playing though, I've been I've been jumping into Destiny. It's going to it's 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 the game that kind of kicked off the the topic that we want to talk about for this episode, but Destiny just came out with a new season, and it's uh, fun to jump back in. I haven't played since a long while ago, um, and uh, you, you, I've forgotten how much stuff there is in that game. Just like the amount of quests and everything that's there for that game. And uh, they always do this when they have some kind of weird techno jargon for stuff. So it, you don't get little chests or loot boxes or whatever you get engrams and you have to decrypt engrams to open them and it's just like what why and every every new season there's a new flora of just weird little uh consumables and, and crafting materials that have new weird names but um that game looks so good and it plays so well um yeah and i also wish they had cross play though because uh, like you guys yeah. are on playstation now on pc yeah. so we're not not going to be able to play so well 
Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's a good point, though. I mean, you, you brought up Destiny. I think that, you know, today, you know, we're going to dive in a little bit more on the, you know, what is, it turns out live services, they're kind of hard, right? And I think you're seeing that or witnessing some of that with Destiny, which is, it's a great game. They've delivered a ton of content. It's really wide. It's a deep game. But serving that and serving that well to millions and millions of people, it turns out it's really, really difficult and certainly difficult to keep them very happy. And so, yeah, you're seeing that recent announcement. I think it shocked a lot of us. Like we're still trying to, at least for me, trying to make sense of what that means. But I think it's it's a good opportunity for us to kind of peel the kind of the, you know, behind the curtains a little bit and talk about, well, why? Why would you even get to that point where you would make a decision like that? What does it mean? You know, how do we think about some of the, the difficulties when we run a live service? I mean, you guys have been on some of the front lines and helping deliver on content and uh, a lot of those service features. And I've been obviously on the side of the marketing, but let's just talk about that. Like, what is it, you know, about, um, uh, you know, service that makes it so difficult? Right. And to kind of scroll back a little bit, just in, in case somebody's listening who, who haven't seen the announcement. So one of the things that Bungie announced recently was that they are going to be removing or, or putting some of the features and content they have in their vault, they, they call it, which basically means... Um, content that has been previously in the game that everybody has been able to play is going away. Um, and what's made this maybe a little bit more controversial is that that's content that um, eventually, well, that at one time was paid for content, right? So some people yeah. have actually paid for, for this. So so it's been a little bit of a contentious topic. Um, some, some people have gone, you know, on the one side and crit- criticized Bungie really hard for this. And other people have kind of understand that their reasoning has, has been that the game is so large, not just like an installed size, but also in complexity. You know, there's so much stuff, kind of like what, what I've experienced when I'm jumping in, that uh, it's hard to deliver on like a slick designed um, product when, when there's so many moving parts and they all kind of interact. But, um, I mean, yeah, games have gone through quite an evolution in the last 10, 15 years in the way we develop and, and, and ship and sell and market games. I mean, it, I mean, not too long ago, before this whole digital download era, we sold games in an actual store in a box, you know, a, a, a plastic wrap box. And uh, it was kind of tricky to be uh, reactive to your audience, um, you know, experience with your games right so you you built the game and then you sold the game and then you went on to build maybe uh, an expansion and maybe a sequel or maybe a completely different game kind of depending on sales numbers mm-hmm. and then you know in the dlc era uh, which is i don't know when games started like post steam you know when, when steam got traction uh, we, we started kind of monetizing games based on selling dlcs and uh, now we're in the era of the big titles are all sort of live service products. And uh, I don't know if you guys want to talk a little bit about sort of what we mean when we say a live service game, kind of the definitions around it. Boy, Thanks. Gonna, some, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was, was going to say we have that, three different answers, but yeah, yeah, yeah. go ahead. But, uh, we should try to align on one. Then. Right, yeah, yeah, let's um, go. Like uh, one thing I, I always bring up is I feel that that means a live service to me means there's there's constant updates and there's a lot of um, events or new things happening at a very frequent basis. Um, so you mentioned the DLC era, Hans, and that would be, you know, maybe every 
three to six to 12 months, you might see a, a big update for a game that was just, here's a bunch of new content and we're done. Um, for me, a live service means you might get small tweaks or balance changes or features or content, all of these things separately or all together, but at least consistently, like minimum kind of once a month. Hmm. Um, and I know one of the things that uh, you brought up when we, we broached this topic earlier off camera, Hans, was... Um, you know, a lot of community interaction. And I think that's, that's really important. It's, it's, it's a two way street. A lot of the, because it's a live game, there's constant dialogue. There's constantly things happening. So it's just, it's a lot of just constant, constant everything. Yeah. I'll just, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think that if you would have asked me 10 years ago, service just had a different definition than what it is today. And so the level of sophistication has just gotten better and better and better in what we mean. And so our, our and rightfully so, our expectations both at a player level and at a developer and uh, in a marketing level are just, they're, they've gotten better or they've gotten um, higher or they've become higher. Um, so yeah, I mean, service um, means meant something very different. Maybe it meant just that you would support your game post-launch and you would actually provide maybe a, a, a DLC pack or, so, or or two. And now it's, no, it's not the case at all. It's, you know, you want constant updates. You want updates on the background that you don't impact. You don't even have to push client side. You want constantly evolving programming events that feels like the game is alive today, right? And mm-hmm. so that's the level of sophistication we're at today. And so in some ways, defining a live service is almost moot because it just will continue to evolve. Just like in five years from now, yeah. it'll be a different de- definition and a different expectation. Um, on, on what live service is. I will say it, it is interesting. Like when we kind of broach this topic every time, like we always go in different directions because it's just so big, right? There's so many things that we want to go around. I sometimes I look at that and I think by and large, when we talk about live service, the first thing that comes to mind is it's a good thing, right? I think. I will tell you, I've started to back away from that position. And I think it, it, my answer has become, it depends. Yeah. It really does. And this depend. sounds familiar, Mike. I know, I know. This is my brand, but the um, well, I, I don't deal with black and white. I deal with like gray, shades of gray in just about everything, Excellent. right? And I think it does depend, though. I think we've and there was the race to service, right? I think early days, people were like launch lead mentality. We wanted to retain engagement over long periods of time, and so and we wanted to evolve that experience because that's where a lot of that feedback was. And I say we mean in the collective we of developers, marketers, and, 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 and publishers, and you name it, right? That whole industry. But over time, as we've done more of that, you start to realize that, you know, well, maybe some games are just better suited for service. Yeah. And actually, it makes a lot of sense to invest in that. And some games are not. And I think the, the problem is in the race to service, the belief was all games should have service. And I don't know that I agree with that. I actually no, don't. I- I, I really don't either. I think that that's why you're seeing a rise of indies in the last couple couple yeah. years. Um, not that they haven't been on the rise, but I think that even more so, I think a lot of what's been getting attention, even from platform holders like Sony and Xbox, they're putting more spotlight on these are small developers or in the case of Microsoft, going out and trying to partner with a whole bunch of smaller publishers or sorry, smaller developers to kind of push this thing because they realize not every game can be a service game. And, yeah. and like you said, it's, it monopolizes your time. So uh, asking a player that normally would play one game a year because they just love it to suddenly be like, hey, here's three games that are equally as big as that one that you play, but yeah. you need to buy all of them from us. Go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here, I'll, I'll say something even more controversial. And I'd love to see if Hans, you agree with this. I think that not only did, does it depend that not all games should be service games. I actually think very few games should be service games. 
And what I mean by service games, I mean ones that, you know, will be there for 5, 10, 15 years around. And because I think that there is the byproduct of that. And this is, I think, a more controversial opinion. And I agree with, and I honestly kind of mixed about it, so I'm not so strong about it, but I want to throw it out there for discussion. But I think the byproduct of that is that you will suck up, there will be only a certain amount of, of, of titles that will garner the lion's share of people's time. And uh, oftentimes, when you get into that situation, you lose innovation and you lose risk-taking. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what makes gaming um, great, is that you take risks. It's kind of the fusion of both art and technology, and that risk-taking is what drives innovation. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, Paulie looks like he wants to say something, but let's talk. No, but Hans, Hans, Hans is going. Yeah. I, we, we don't have to take turns, you know, guys. If 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 you have a point to make, then then go ahead. I mean, Hans, like everybody, play nice. <laughs> we can do this. Go ahead, Paul. Uh, uh, no, for me, I, I think, uh, man, I even forgot what we were talking about. Now I, I got so focused <laughs> on like, I like, no, I'll save this for when Hans is talking. Then we devolved anyway. Um, I th- I think the the risk taking is a big thing. It's like why you saw a huge rise in publisher publishers the last. Um, like 20 years ago, right? Like now you have some super publishers, EA, Activision, uh, Ubisoft, and a lot of their games tend to fit that model because they have the marketing spend to just go after and get a whole ton of users, keep them engaged in their, in their little universe. And um, yeah, then, you know, they don't want to take risks because they want that consistent revenue. So it's, it's really interesting to see, you get a lot more of that um, innovation, like you're talking about, Mike, from smaller titles that don't become live services. Well, well let's yeah. talk about that, though, because I think live service, we want to kind of, um, you know, I think, it, it, like I said earlier, it can be hard. And I think it is a good thing, especially when we want to support gamers over time. But how do you, like, let's just talk about some of the trials and tribulations of service and and, and stay on the topic of innovation, though. Well, like, how do you... Yeah, ahead, I, I would like or, to say, though, like, there's a big distinction... And you you were kind of uh, getting through this, Mike. Where when live service games are successful in that when they are good, that's yeah. when they they have enough stuff for you to do and enough content and enough drive and enough frequent updates that players stay engaged over a long period of time. Because like you make you make your money back when you have players engaged all the time. If this is a lifestyle choice for people, right? Mm. So they're on their League of Legends games, or they're playing Warframe, or Path of Exile, or Destiny, or even like MOBAs. You know, I I would say that um, World of Warcraft is run as a service, right? It's always kind of been, but it's it's more now well-oiled service machine right now. But then also you have the examples of games which don't suit live services, so they would have been just fine as a you know. 10, 12, 15, 20 hour experience. But because maybe um, some of these uh, publishers or developers feel like they, they need to compete for people's attention, the, so they will kind of uh, clothe one of their games as a live service game. And so it kind of looks and communicates and set the expectation of a live service game, but it doesn't f- fulfill those. And then that's, that's, that's usually yeah. a, an example of a pretty sort of failed I, experiment. I I do think there is an, a, a difference in the distinction I make between live service today, right? Definition today um, versus um, in the future or in the past is that um, they're supporting your game, which is I've launched and I want to support a certain amount of features over a period of time. And let's call it standard. It seems to be at least 12 months, maybe up to 24 months, but usually at least 12 months. That to me isn't a live service. 
It really is just supporting your game within the first year. Live service is the games that are franchises that maybe are annualized, biannualized, whatever it is, mm-hmm. every couple of years, and are intending to service a game over the course of uh, uh, several years, yeah. over periods of time. And I think there should be very few, 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 few of those titles. And I think, but you are seeing the industry, right? It wasn't far long ago, three, four years ago, that anything north of one year of content was pretty challenging, but I think now you're seeing the race to, no, 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 we need to be two, three, four, five years. I mean, how long has GTA 5 been oh. Oh, Six years? Seven, eight? Uh, Didn't it launch on PS3 and X? Yeah, no. I think yeah. it did, right? Yeah, no. It I did, mean, yeah. we, we yeah. could Google it, but we could also speculate. That's always fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could. But I mean, and don't get me wrong. Like, look, uh, Rockstar delivers great content, great experiences, and there's a reason why they've had the success that they have with GTA Online and everything else. But that's effectively just a service. And who, I mean, who knows when the next GTA will be out? Um, yeah, we if, were all expecting that on the, on the PS5 launch event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but but I think, you know, kind of back to this point of like, it's difficult. And I think you guys have a offer a really unique position um, of running a life service. I think that talk, you know, talk to me about some of the things around, you know, you know, running a life service. What are the considerations? What are the challenges in doing it? What are the things? Because you hear the community, you're trying to run this long time service. I mean, if I had my druthers as a player, I would say update the game twice a week. Thank you. Or at least once a week, right? But that's not easy. No, really isn't. And that's one of the things that um, Bungie talked about in their little uh, announcement. They, they clarified things with uh, shipping updates to the game takes days when it used to take hours, right? Just because of not just the complexity of testing all combinations of things. And that's usually something I see in communities. Uh, people will point out a thing that is obviously broken because of an interaction with another thing. And they say, um, this studio just forgot and don't care about this specific thing. And that's maybe not really um, uh, the case. It's just incredibly hard to, to QA all things in combination with other things. And um, since these games are usually pretty open-ended, you know, you can kind of go do is play different game modes where you have, you know, Maybe some abilities or weapons or configurations, or whatever, doesn't make sense in a specific game mode. And we, you know, we notice something in the community and then. Um, uh, but uh, so, so that is absolutely a challenge just that that takes time to ship updates. And when it takes time to ship an update, that means that you're not servicing that product. It, 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 it turns into a product that has, you know, longer update cycles. Um, and then people are going to stop playing that game and start playing something else. Yeah. Yep. I think uh, the the QA examples is a great one, and I think that some of the the fun stuff that I know I I bump up against when when uh, we're pushing updates out our uh, our QA team or even just some of the the team itself in playtest or something like oh well this issue popped up again I'm like we fixed that thing six months ago yes. like why why wh- how is that possible like code just decays man like sometimes things just Shit just goes wrong. I, like, I do love that. By the way, that's the best line of the uh, of the episode. Uh, code just a case. It's organic. Yeah. <laughs> Zeros and ones. They just like. It's <laughs> but it's just so weird because you're sitting there like um, we asked you to fix this thing before. They're like, yeah, I did that. It it no longer does this. We're like, but it's it's obviously doing it again. Well, now it broke in a different way. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a different kind of thing. Same same result. You know, you got to play Doctor House sometimes. You know, what yeah. are the symptoms? So I have yeah, two questions. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
I have two questions uh, for, for you two. I think that that's great. One is, okay, great. Knowing what you know about the situation uh, with Bungie and, and, and Destiny, and you know how big the, the, and the reasons and everything else, would you make a different choice? One. Uh, uh, and, the, and the second thing is, you know, there are, there are games out there that do it really well, right? Fortnite is the example that everybody, and I'm sure they just have a ton of resources, but they're not the only ones. Um, there, there are many other games. Warframe, I think, is one of those, right? Uh, that has continued to kind of update yeah. the game consistently. R sixes, maybe. I think another one. There's, there's definitely the division is probably another one that continues to update. I don't know how consistently, but I mean, they get to a better refresh cycle, um, and they're just there are definitely some folks that are leading this space and doing better. Why? So those are the two questions. I just, I'd love to get your thoughts on. Well, I mean, it's doing sort of developing games like this requires not just like an iteration it requires kind of a quantum leap in 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 um in evolution of your game studio you you need to hire for new new types of expertise so you know you can't just have game designers designing games you also have to include business analysts and analytics and people you know reading charts and numbers and trying to figure out what what's happening there and you need to be more uh, data informed uh, or data driven, maybe. Um, and it, it kind of requires a organizational overhaul um, as well as a technical one. I agree with that. Yeah. So, but, what, but just to, to kind of just so I understand what you're saying. So, there's it's not just the we have to kind of get to a point where our game and our software is actually better positioned and the engine, all that, all that stuff organizationally. We're not, we have to be set up well. Oh yeah. And if you don't have both of those pieces working in concert with one another, you're not going to be able to deliver in the same way. And you think that those organizations—I mean, we don't work there—probably have that. I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, Paul. What do you think? Oh boy, I'm gonna kind of steal a kind of page out of your book, Mike. I think it really depends on <laughs> a ton of different factors. Um, so, you know, you asked, you asked why are some of these games more successful than others? I'm one of them will always just come down to luck. That's something in the games industry, just yeah. like in entertainment, like things are still hit driven, mm-hmm. right? As much as we say that you can plan around that and you can be better educated and you be, you can be smarter and be born targeted. Yes. Those help with success, but it's still a lot of this. I think it's just like, is your game coming out at the right time? And does it hit the right audience just perfectly? Um, so like some of that just drives scale of users because if you look at things like fortnite or league of legends they sell no gameplay stuff they all sell cosmetics and there is a lot of data out there that shows that gameplay things drive people to pay more because they impact your gameplay in a way that gives you a benefit as much as people hate the concept of pay to win right people will throw money at that thing and if you want to make money that's an area to go into cosmetics aren't as uh profitable but you can get scale if everybody kind of like dips their toe in. And it's also a lot more welcomed by the community. So if you have mass scale and you have a kind of softer approach to monetization, these things can be profitable for you. But on the same side, if you don't have that mass scale and your customization is maybe not that interesting, you like you could have done the exact same thing as Fortnite and failed miserably. Yep. And you're like, well, what was the difference? The game just wasn't as good or you didn't hit the, the right audience at the right time. Yeah. Right. I, like, I mean, I, I, there's I so many factors. Yeah, I, I agree with some of that. The, I do think you can engineer a, a higher degree of success, but I definitely yes. think that luck 
timing. There's a lot of other variables you don't necessarily control. There may be a ship window, something else. There's momentum in different ways. And so, I mean, our jobs, it's part of our jobs, Mm -hmm. right, is to mitigate some of that risk. Yeah, um, but that's still in a hit-driven business. Still plays a big part. But the the one question that we didn't answer was: hey, you get the keys to the car, to the destiny car, the bungee car. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. I want to. I, I would love to hear. I don't know. By the way, I don't have an answer for this. Is why the beauty of asking the question is sure. I don't get to answer. I don't have to answer it. Um, not knowing their situation. The the problem is I don't know their exact situation because going back to your depends. Like it depends, right? Like I don't know their financial situation. So for, for all I know, maybe they're like, um, we, this is our best way forward in terms like, we're making so much money off a of D2. Why would we do anything else? But I don't know. Um, but from a player perspective, it, it just, no matter how you explain away why you do things, it still hurts to see something that you're like, I paid for this or I had this previously and now you took it away. That's just a hard thing to do. Um, so from my end, like I would say, no, nah, let's make a D3. Oh, let's 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 build a game knowing the type of thing that we want to get into in the future. If it's going to expand at this rate, how do we better plan and prepare for that and then come at people with a different offer? Um, But that also means that, again, financials in two years, maybe they run out of money and that's not that was never a possibility. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I'll speculate as soon as Hans answers. Okay, sure. Um, I think what's happening right now is they're looking at other other games in this space. And I play a lot of Warframe and Path of Exile, and those kinds of lifestyle games never take away anything, basically, right? You can go in and play in Warframe a PvP mode that nobody plays. I'm not going to say nobody plays, but it, it's not, it doesn't cater to the larger audience. And that's something they tried. They put it in there and supported it for a while, and now it's just like, it's still in there. Um, I think Bungie goes, you know what? We're going we're gonna to err on the side of quality, and we're going to make sure that our game is good in this entire span of of all the features and all the modes and all the things in there. So we're going to make sure that if we can't ensure quality on these specific things, and they're removing some of the things that they um, could measure were the least, uh, you know, impactful. Um, I'm, I'm thinking they said something like the, some of the parts they're removing had like 0.5% of all playtime in it, but it had 5% of the installed size of the game. So, you know, as games are getting bigger and bigger, um, I read that Call of Duty is approaching 200 uh, gigabytes of installs. Yeah. And that's ridiculous. Um, Like, we need to pare the product down. Uh, We need to make sure it's a little bit more slim. So, Uh, yeah. But still, though, like, you still can't just remove stuff, right? So what would you have done then? Well, I mean, I'm I'm just happy they're sticking to their guns. We're going to see the more and more of this in the future. Yeah. Um, life services games are going to have to come down in size. But by the way, Hans, I think you're first, right. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Game. So I, I think the beauty of being an armchair kind of quarterback, so to speak, the the beauty of the American term, I guess, the yeah. um, is that we get to kind of speculate on what uh, we know and what we don't know in the situation. But I think it is a confluence of a couple of things. I think D2 is just too big. And when you build that wide and that deep of a game, it's hard for two reasons. Uh, to continue, uh, one, to you anything that you build next, your next sequel kind of has to be bigger, right? Has to be better, has to be, or at least by and large, that's kind of the conventional wisdom. You can get smarter and, and choose a different direction, but it's hard, at least in the same kind of linear sequel, 
to do that. And so that would be a monstrosity of a project. Yes. <laughs> and without Activision helping co-fund and everything else, I think that it's almost a non-starter in some ways. Me speculating, but I think that's one piece of it. The other piece is when you look at your paths forward, you probably saw that you were able to sustain a certain audience and you saw some of those numbers to your point, Hans, that said there's a, like I'm not a lot of people playing this. We have too wide of a game and we want to service a, a, you know, a part of the game that we know that people like most and continue to innovate in that area. Um, uh, and we want to do that uh, full stop. And that was our, our path forward. I think it was the kind of the, the, the confluence of those two situations that probably led down this path. And they probably didn't have, because you, to your point, I don't think anybody would have wanted to say, we want to remove content. From a marketing standpoint, that's never, as rarely, well, I haven't, I haven't uncovered it, a good story, no matter how many times you kind of spin it and yeah. position it. And because one, gamers are just too smart for that stuff. And taking away something, even if it's good, for the kind of the long term, nobody or rarely sees no. that. So yeah, yeah, it's an interesting. I will say, sorry, go ahead, Polly. I was saying, like, it, people might in six to twelve months be like, "Man, I'm glad they did that." You know what? That actually paid out. But the initial couple months, people are just going to be super raw about like, "I had a thing, now that thing's gone." Yeah. Even if they yeah. didn't use it, it doesn't matter. Like on, on an emotional level, is where everybody's at right now. 100. I it's agree. like those and stages you know what, of, um, uh, of, uh, not grief. Jesus. Oh, no, but even yeah, no, just, um, yeah, or just, in, in, you know, interacting with conflict. Like there's still like a denial period and an anger period. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I, I, I do think though, I, I do appreciate, it. I think the gaming industry as a whole has to do more of this. Um, which is, you know, there are decisions and I think the problem is there's kind of a myriad of different decisions, some in good faith and some in bad faith. And so we don't always have a great track record. But there are a lot of good faith decisions for the long term that have to be made uh, that aren't necessarily good for the short term. Mm -hmm. And the ability to have the courage to both make those decisions, see them through yeah. and not bend, which all too often, because you will get a certain amount of kind of backlash from yeah. the community, I think is, is where the industry needs to have is that, that maturity to be able to make those decisions move forward. But, but I think the first starting point is trust with your community. Yeah. Some certainly yeah. have it and some don't. Some had it yeah. and broke it and vice versa, right? And so it's, it, that's a whole other discussion for another day. But, but um, I do appreciate those types of decisions and hope that they pay out. But yeah. hey, I mean, so what, what are some of the benefits of running a, a, a functioning live service game? Because those are a bunch of the trials, right? You know, trials and yeah. tribulations. What are the yeah. upsides of this? <laughs> I don't know if we want to keep that to a separate one. But uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the upside is like just you're able to establish trust and build a, build a community and like build a, a fan base that can go on a journey with you. And there's something about having that, that commonality and going through those things with people that is just really engaging and kind of rewarding. Um, that's, that's things I enjoy. Yeah. Here, here's what I think. I think this is just the reality of the, the development environment today that I've seen, or at least experienced, which is very few games. Uh, are delivered, are highly polished, and are perfect on day one, right? Uh, I don't think that I've had a game yet that I've played that doesn't have a day one or day zero patch. Right. And so I think um, part of, I think, the beauty of running a live service is that you get to kind of hone and refine that experience more and more and deliver more and more content. And I think the experience just gets much and much better. So that's like one piece that... Now, that sounds like a negative because it's like, you know, you start out as, well, just ship a complete game. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying... I think you have a you have a better read for your audience, especially new IP games. 
and you can deliver more content, more interesting experiences and really kind of fine tune it. The other thing to, to Paul, your point of just getting to know your community and having that relationship over time, it's powerful. It's fun. It's interesting. Um, I think it's what, you know, uh, as much as there's that much hype to kind of launching a game, you, ha- you feel like you're more connected with your, your community when you have a, a service. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's a rare thing, though. Not a lot of game studios will have that kind of success on a uh, on a on a game where they where they can feasibly take it and work with it years and years. Um, and I would say no game has an opportunity to really show what you know its best side at launch. You know, I I really do believe that. I mean, look at a lot of games coming out right now on from Nintendo still has you know patches and updates and stuff even though nintendo has been known for a long time to be sort of you know they they're, they're like you never update like a game boy rom you can't patch that you know you can't, you can't ship an update to that but uh nowadays i mean even animal crossing now has tons of new updates and features and stuff i'm oh, okay well. with that by the way i think that you know i think in a in a in a, in a world where we have constantly kind of updates that are done in the background that are because I think that what people respond to negatively is the disruption Mm -hmm. and if you can do that in a more seamless way and you can get really smart because they do it in other industries they're actually pretty smart about that whether it's Netflix whether it's Spotify and it's more I know challenging with gaming for sure it's more complex it's more sophisticated there's just more events and more things going on but if that becomes the world I think um, and it's pretty seamless in the way you morph the experience Wow, that's that's actually kind of cool. Yeah, and I think that that's where like how you design your games, um, or sorry, I should say, just build build your games as a live service. You you allow yourselves the opportunities to do that. Whereas older games, you you know you'd you'd max out everything so that you you could jam everything out of the disc, leave no room for improvement anywhere. You just maximize right the engine, whatever you want to do, and it's just there's so much game packed into that thing. Um, and there's, there's times where you do that now with a game that's intended to be a live service. And then, you know, in a couple months you're trying to update the game and you realize like, um, we've kind of run out of pixels that we can generate on screen at any one time because we've jammed in so many things. Uh, but we're like part of what we want to add to the game generates pixels on the screen in 12 new ways. Yeah. What do we do? So I, I got a question for you. The, um, so you got, you got one job as two different roles. Which one do you choose? You get to work on service, a service title, right? You know, it's in service. It's been in for a while. Or pre-launch leading into a new IP, new development project. Which one do you choose and why? Oh, my. How about this? Then? Uh, yeah, I, I know mine as well. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say. So being able to have the opportunity to work on a live service game or a game that's appreciated by an audience that keeps coming back is hugely rewarding and i have that i'm able to work on vermintide 2 which is something that's been around for a while now and people still love that game um, a lot they have a lot of opinions on that but it's still something that we 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 keep supporting um and i and i do believe that like a game is something that you can release to an audience and then have um players feedback and uh, you know, the way they play the game and interact with the game kind of feed back into the way we develop games. And you don't do that with a movie, right? You do that maybe with TV shows. You know, you ship a first season and then you see how people feel about that and you shift around stuff. 
but with games games get better when you ship them kind of half 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 baked and let you know the the interaction between the audience and the studio kind of transform them so yeah absolutely i would I, I love working on live service stuff so service is your answer yeah yep, yep. okay paul um my my answer is the exact opposite, mainly because I, I don't have much experience um, working on a game from like concept through pre-production into production. Most of my um, career as a developer has come in the earliest, the last like third of production before launch and then everything in post-launch. Um, Interesting. So I've, I've always been thinking about what do you do after the game's out? What do you do after the game's out? How do we adapt for that? It's never been so much of the, how do we plan for this stuff? What is it? What is it? What are the steps that you go through to like really map this stuff out way in advance so that you know what you're working towards instead of just going like somebody's already laid out these plans, just go fulfill them. And then after that, make it up as you go. Um, So it's, it's very different for me. It's good to see both sides. I'll say my, my general experience has been uh, both within the marketing discipline and I think in other disciplines, my perception, and this is a gross generalization, so I'll beg for forgiveness later when I get hate mail, but the, um, is that most people still in the industry gravitate to new launches because it's shiny, it's exciting. There's a certain rush that happens as part of it. And I think to your point, Paul, some of the motivations there of just like being able to create and plan for something sometimes is, yeah, it's more sexy. Um, uh, which is, I think, a, a problem. I think we have to, like I said before, I think grow up more as an industry and services. You know, you're seeing now that it's seventy and eighty percent of many of the the, the total kind of franchise uh, revenue of a product, mm-hmm. um, and that um, you know that has a lot to do with the fact that people want to stay with titles longer, uh, and which means that you need to have the right talent and the right focus and, and service but it's an interesting like i said i love I and mean, this is this is a topic that i could continue to kind of rotate and go through for quite so some time what was, but what was your answer mike what do you what do you oh, prefer oh that's good <laughs> pens I'm just no. um you know i actually um i've done both in my career um I don't know if I have a strong preference. It is probably more to the new stuff. That's the truth. Um, mm. I think there's a, there's some, but, but like, you know, right now my team is working on service stuff and I really dig it for a different reason. They're just different skill sets, different problems mm-hmm. to solve. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I might, you know, I'm at that point in my career right now, to be honest, I, I kind of said new and I'm going to backtrack on that. <laughs> I actually, I think, you know, there is more, there is, here's why I like service right now. Just right now, uh, my opinion could change tomorrow. There's such a, I think, an immaturity in that side of the business. Hmm. There's so much that we have to learn, whether it's from our our mobile brothers and into the HD space. And there's such, there's so many new muscles that we have to build and we have to think through. And I think we still have to define to kind of grow up and to become a really rich service and to that point earlier which is some should be service oriented some should not be service oriented like that thinking is still early days and i i love being kind of at the the epicenter of that type of problem where you just don't know the answer right you have to go figure it out i think launches are kind of tried and true and you can certainly have different ways to launch a product um but they're they're formulaic in many ways service Mm. is not actually it's not a solved problem at all 
No. I think just jumping back, Mike, so that it doesn't sound like I jumped on the I want to do pre-production because I think it's <laughs> it's sexy. It's more just Love like it. I said, it's a, it. it's a lack of experience. I've never done it. So for yeah. me, I just I want to know what that feels like. Um, but I think that the, the problem you described with a lot of people in the industry kind of over focusing on a new launch all the time, I think it's very real. And I think it's it's something that is challenging when you try to you're trying to motivate teams that have never worked on a live game to work on a live game they're like i don't i don't like this i want the rush of a new thing and at least sometimes when i have conversations with people I'm like well but you're you're going to be shipping something it's just not a grandiose thing it's chunky and it will last uh you know you'll you'll do it every month like you're shipping something every month and i think that some people just don't don't want to do that um yeah it's it's like just different, but I think like you said, it's a different muscle people need to kind of yeah get into yeah, get into the right mindset for yeah I agree though you know I agree I think it um, that is definitely a problem but you know we'll see like I said that the the beauty of this the live service space right now is it is it is pretty competitive some people are figuring it out those that are are excelling and they're building the right communities mm-hmm. they're accelerating their kind of growth in their audience in a way that you haven't really seen in HD over the last couple of years. And that's that's promising as as a guy in the marketing and kind of the gaming side to see. And it's just a matter of can you actually find a path to do the same. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about uh, with uh, live service uh, development, shipping, marketing, selling. Um, you know, is cloud gaming going to solve all of our download woes? But uh, maybe that's for a different episode. Um, <laughs> and uh, let's get on to the next part. We we usually have uh, something we like to show off here. We think um, uh, we we like to call it that's fucking cool because we find stuff that people post or stuff that's happening right now that we call that that's fucking cool. Um, I've been living in a bubble uh, this last week, so I don't actually have anything that made me go that's fucking cool. But Mike, maybe you have something. I always have. Uh, that's fucking cool shit. I mean, forget the fact that my cool factor is down to about a zero or a one. I still have a, an, an eye for things that are much cooler than I am. Um, so I, I love to cook. You guys know this. Um, and uh, every now and then I'll wear an apron because, uh, you know, you don't want to you don't want to get anything on my fly outfit. Um, uh, that's that's my horrible attempt at trying to be cool. Let's just, you know, if you just throw dope and fly out there, oh, people yeah, might yeah. think you're those, cool. Those no, are still relevant, like, you know. Kids yeah, okay. love those. Is that what it is? Kids are down this is with the beauty with. No, I'm this, not, I'm not giving anyone attempted. <laughs> okay, I got to get the cheat sheet for my kid that's like, what are the cool words? So I can just introduce one every like four word, yeah. and everybody's like, yeah, Super yeah, he's, he's cool. Mm-hmm. Anywho. Oh, so I'm, I like to cook, but I've been looking for a new apron. I stumbled across this on Uncrate, which. I love that site. I every now and then will go in it, and I, I couldn't. I was thinking of Polly actually when I when I looked at it, and it's a Darth Vader apron, yeah. and it's totally in character. It's you know that the, they describe it as you know we can't recall if Darth Vader has ever cooked. Did he even eat? Uh, but if he had, we're pretty sure that he's worn this apron. You know that type of stuff. It's um, <laughs> you know it's it's it, it's the only thing that's missing is the lightsaber you know uh, tongs and the spe- and the spatula. <laughs> But yeah. but I think you know that's just I picked I looked at that and I'm like uh, I'm a sucker for anything that's a little bit um, a little geekish um, and um, comes out of the universes that I love and Star Wars is certainly one of those so that's fucking cool yeah I'm showing it right now it's 125 dollars though <laughs> yeah it's not for the faint of heart but that's what you get for an officially licensed uh, apron yeah well I was gonna say Darth Vader a little figurine though will cost you that anyway as Paul that's true probably that's true. yes yes just yes, saying. Yes. <laughs> 
I can be a real life stand up Darth Vader cook. So that's my that's fu- fucking cool. All right. Um, I think mine's going to be or we you know we kind of said that we weren't going to jump on some of the PlayStation Five stuff earlier. My my thing. Oh, excuse me. Uh, my thing is actually the game Stray, which has you it seemingly play as a cat and as a as a cat person. Mm-hmm. I am super excited for this. We have a uh, we have a cat Slack channel at work, and uh, all the. <laughs> Everybody else in there was kind of going nuts over like, oh, this is interesting. Like, I don't know. I thought that was really fucking cool. It's just like, this is a game you get to play as a cat yeah. with robots. Like, I don't know. It's just wacky. I love it. By the way, we got to start keeping score of like how many times Paul mentions his cat or cats and how many times I mentioned dogs and my dogs. Although right. I don't have any games around dogs. Yeah. Gotta I feel be like I'm behind. Right? Yeah. I can. Mm. I'm. I'm thinking like Paperboy, but isn't there a dog chasing the guy on the bike? No. Oh my God, Paperboy, that's <laughs> host. You are so old. I'm down with the, with the, with the arcade games. <laughs> Damn. True uh, story. I had yeah. an arcade game as a kid. Asteroids. Still have it. Like an actual arcade in your house? Yeah. yeah. Well, not oh in this my. house. No, no, no. Back in, back in the States, yeah. Well, some, it's some in storage right well. now. I didn't even have a Nintendo. So. That's a great way to end the podcast. Yeah, okay. Just bring it down a bit. Uh, But I think with that, though, on that sire note, we will end this. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and stay safe out there. Thank you all for listening. If you want to see more episodes of this podcast, please check out patchandcrash.com. Also, follow us on Twitter, at Patch and Crash, where we post about new episodes or live streams. 